Full Service Radio is supported by Glen's Garden Market, a local grocery store, deli, and craft beer bar in DuPont Circle at 20th and S Streets. Good food from close by. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Hi, welcome to The Leap, coming to you live from the Lion Hotel in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Gordon. I own a small business, Gordy's Pickle Jar, and one of my favorite things about being a small business owner is talking with and learning from other entrepreneurs. And every Wednesday, I get to have these conversations on air by bringing together small business owners from a wide range of disciplines to share stories, tips, and advice. You can listen to the show live every Wednesday at noon or or anytime on fullserviceradio.org. On today's show, I'm super excited to chat with Jenna Huntsberger, founder and CEO of Wisp Bakery. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. Um, so I want to talk all things cookies and pies and cool. Yep. Yeah, that's um, why I'm here. But before we, but before we talk pies, I, I want to chat a bit about the road that led you here. Mm-hmm. Um, how'd you become a pastry chef, bakery owner? And, um, yeah, sure. So I moved to DC in 2005 and I was working in nonprofit communications and I was absolutely awful at it. I'm, I'm not a good communications professional. And so I was like 25, 26 and kind of going through a midlife cri- or a quarter life crisis. And I started a food blog about baking and pastry and I just became obsessed with it. Um, and so, you what know, was your I, blog called? it was called Modern Domestic and yeah. Still I, going or no? No, no, okay. I stopped. I stopped in 2012. I didn't have the time. Um, So I started getting really into baking and pastry, and I actually went to a food blogger happy hour where I met Sarah Polin of Supergirl and also a woman called uh, Teresa Pinelli who had a small bakery called Treat that was like an online bakery similar to my model. And uh, I I met Teresa, and I said I wanted to interview you on on my blog. And so I, I went in and worked for her and just fell in love with her. And I ended up quitting my full-time salaried office job to go work for Teresa. Um, I became her kitchen manager. Then when she closed the business, I really knew that I wanted to start my own company. And that led me down the road to starting WIST in 2011. Awesome. So you were like juggling a few jobs plus. Yeah. So in the year before I opened WIST, I was working for Treat. Um, After she closed, I worked for Supergirl. I also worked on a food truck called the Big Cheese Food Truck. And I was a, a pastry chef at, or a pastry cook at Birch and Barley for like two months and, and flamed out. I was also awful at that. So so did you always have like a, a real interest in food? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I loved baking and pastry. I mean, in college, I would, you know, bake a cake for every meeting that I was, you know, chairing. Um, I ran a commission called the Women's Action Commission for my student government. And I was really much more interested in baking the cakes for the meetings than the substance of the meetings that I would have to chair. So I I've always had an interest. <laughs> nice. Um, so how did you kind of make the leap from, you know, kind of jumping into WISC full time? 
Well, it was gradual. So I worked at Supergirl for the first year that I had Wist up and running. And um, I would say the first year we were just selling at one farmer's market. We were working out of 1905, which is like a tiny little restaurant kitchen on 9th Street um, in Northwest. And it was not enough income for me to support myself at all. So another thing that I did part-time during the first couple years Wist was running is I did desserts for a pastry company called Spilled, or for a catering company called Spilled Milk Catering. And that gave me a steady revenue source so I could kind of build up Wist and get it off the ground. So it was kind of a longer evolution. Yeah. And you, um, so basically you tested the viability of the product at yeah, sure. The 14th Street Market, <laughs> and obviously <laughs> got a great response. Yeah, I, I mean, people loved our stuff since we opened. Um, it helped also that I was a food blogger before, so I just knew a lot of people in food and in the media, and we got a lot of coverage from the press when we opened, and we were always taken seriously as a business, I think, because the the media took us seriously as a business, so that helped. But Wist was very popular at the farmer's market. You know, when we started at 14th and U, we were the most successful baker Robin had had in that slot for years. So obviously there was interest in the product, but I didn't really build it into a real business um, until two or three years down the road. You know, we were testing products, we tested wholesale, but it, it just took time to figure out how all the revenue streams were going to come together to actually make us into a real business. Right. So did you have... Um, so? you know, since you were working for Supergirl and mm-hmm. other small businesses, I mean, were they kind of like your mentors? Oh, absolutely. In, um, yeah, Sarah's awesome. Yeah. So kind of, you had a lot of questions for them about like, how do I even start a small business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from, you know, what's the paperwork you need to file to, you know, how do you do a sales call to, you know, how do you hire people? Um, you know, how do you fire people? I mean, they've always been like a, a great resource for me. They're very helpful. <laughs> it's great. I would love to hear Sarah's, you know, <laughs> how, to, how to do a sales call. Yeah. Oh, Sarah's Something great. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> She's so funny. Yeah. Um, so, um, with so many like artisan bakeries emerging, like how does WIS like continue to keep their like competitive edge? Um, well, what we do is really different from other bakeries, you know, because most of the new bakeries on the scene are retail concepts. Um, they're not wholesale bakeries, and also the way that we sell to grocery stores is pretty unique. I would say a lot of bakeries that have come, you know, into being in the last couple of years, their wholesale programs are focused on coffee shops. So they're doing a broad line of items like mm-hmm. croissants and scones and muffins. They're baking them overnight and then they're delivering it to them, uh, those items to coffee shops on a daily basis. And we're not like that. Like we focus on grocery. Right. So why do you feel like um, most bakers like go kind of the retail route? Uh, you know, I think it's more, it's a better outlet if you're really creative. And I will say when I started this business, I thought I was this creative person. I thought I wanted to be making all these different products. And I've, I've realized through the process of doing WIS that I'm, I'm not creative in that way. Like I don't have this endless fount of creative energy. But if you want to try, you know, Nutella croissants, and if you want to make a scone that's going to be the next hot thing on Instagram, you can do that in a retail location. But if you're doing wholesale, you have to think about the viability of the product and how it will sell and how you'll package it. And if this is really what customers are asking from grocery stores. So it's a really different equation. I mean, I guess also like in the wholesale world, I mean, to change, you know, if you're working with Whole Foods or whatever, right, it's it's a process to get like a new SKU or whatever. So you can't, I mean, it's kind of like you have to have this steady line of of products that customers keep on coming back for you cannot be you cannot be an experimental bakery brand and be a wholesale company and for me that's that's fine you know right but you guys are switching things up um like seasonally right that's yeah 
Yeah, so we do seasonal pies and quiches that we change once a quarter. Um, but I used to change them once a week when we were only selling at the farmer's market and I had more flexibility in our menu. So even we've changed. Right. So would you say, like, what would you say kind of Whisk's unique, um, like, selling proposition mm-hmm. is? So first of all, we have chewy cookies, which a lot of other bakeries don't do. Um, we have really unique flavors. So we have things like our pretzel cowboy cookie that has pretzels and cranberries and semi-sweet chocolate chips that, that is very unique. I would say that's creative. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day. Um, I created that a couple of years ago when I still was more creative. Um, and then, you know, we're baking it fresh and delivering it to all our clients twice a week. And most package products that you're seeing in the grocery store last for six months to a year. Right. So because they have preservative all, of all sorts. In there. Or they've been engineered with, you know, their packaging and their formulas to last that long. And our product is really like a homemade cookie. And there is nothing like that in grocery stores in the area. So that's that's your unique kind of selling proposition. That's what we think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people are buying them. Right, you know? right. So I mean, is there so is there any other cookie on the market locally here that's like doesn't have or is that just Not, has all fresh kind of like ingredients in, like you? In grocery stores, the only thing that's similar to us is being sold in the bakery department that they would bake fresh and put in uh, like a glass case. But in terms of a package product, no one is doing stuff the way we're doing it. So it, it's it's a very unique grocery product. Very cool. So, um, you know, when I think about like a, your business versus mm-hmm. my business, I mean, I have, you know, a shelf stable product. Um, mm-hmm. How, like, what are some of the biggest challenges for scaling a baked goods business? Well, that, that is the challenge. Right. And we're really grappling with that right now because, because it is so perishable. We can, and we really need to distribute it ourselves. So, like you can't take a product with a seven day shelf life and bring it into distribution. It just doesn't work, you know? Um, and so we're so that that in itself kind of limits you guys in yes. in your scale of, in terms of like your proximity of how far you could absolutely distribute. But there are a lot of successful bakeries. Granted, they mostly do breads, so it's a little different from what we do. But if you look at Gold Crust Bakery, Leon Bakery, Upper Crust, all of those you know are doing daily deliveries and have their own distribution networks. So I think that we can build Whist into something that's a really successful regional business, even if we can't you know become a national brand. That is that's good enough for me. Yeah, I, I'm like always shocked when I see um, Leon's uh, like distribution center. Yeah, it's oh, amazing. It's a huge. It's amazing. The facility is awesome. Yeah. Um, so basically, your biggest challenge is. I think that the perishability of the product like is is a huge challenge that we're overcoming by just increasing our own internal distribution capacity. Um, We're looking into selling frozen dough that could be something that we go into distribution um, that could have a wider footprint, you know, but we'll see how competitive we are in that marketplace. Um, And then, you know, it's, it's the same problem all of us have. It's keeping the quality of the product while becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. That's a huge challenge. So um, basically if you, so you sell to a grocery store and, you know, say your shelf life, how how long is your shelf life? Seven days. Seven days. Yeah. So basically if your product doesn't move off the shelf in those seven days, then you just have to buy it back. It depends on the store. So we do it on a case by case basis. But what we. What's typical. Uh, I mean, typically we will not buy it back. Okay. Because so we, they have to order the right amount. Yeah. And so we really try to work closely with our retailers so that they're placing appropriate orders. You know, some people will, will order too much and we'll actually call them and say, do you really want that? 
do you, do you really need that much stuff? I don't think that you do, you know? So that's why it's important that we have a distribution team that's managing that on the store level, because if we keep those relationships really tight, you know, we can advise them on what they should or shouldn't be ordering. Right. So there's, there's not, they're not wasting and not having to yeah. kind of like shrink the, exactly. the product and, and take the loss. Exactly. Um, and do you feel like that's worked your, you're honing that in. I mean, we make it work. We've made yeah. it work throughout our existence. So, um, are there some grocery stores that are just like, no, you you, you need to buy back the product that doesn't sell? I, we don't go into those stores. Okay. So, you know, just because it, it's not feasible for it, you, it's not feasible for us. Like the product is too expensive. Um, you know, because we're using this all all natural ingredient profile, um, we don't have the the bandwidth to buy back all the shrink. You know? Right. So right. If, if people are set on that, we just we can't do it. Right. Um, what advice would you, tips or advice would you give someone trying to like start a small bakery? Um, you know, think of, think about your business model. I did not do that when I was starting and I think it really held us back for a long time. I was very convinced for the first five years that we were open that I needed to open a retail store that somehow that would validate me as a business owner and validate my business as, as a real business. And, uh, you know, we don't need to do that. We're a very successful business in wholesale. So, you know, think about think about your business model, you know, test your products, look at the marketplace and see what's there and what isn't what what isn't there um, and, and figure out how you fit into that landscape, you know, right. and then think about things like shelf life. You know, it has been a really challenging thing for us. Right. Do you think that you would have, if you thought about all those things prior to starting Whisk, like you would have taken the leap like you did? Probably no. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm not a planner. Um, it's one of my own personal failings. So I just like to jump into things and figure it out. So yes, it did work for me. But looking back, it's it's almost improbable that we're still here, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. I feel like my, you know, I guess I'm, my advice is always similar to yours. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, wait a second. Um, if I actually thought about all those things, like, you right. know, I think it would have been a lot scarier to, to take the jump. And um, right. Right. And, and that's the that's the tricky thing, um, because most food businesses are not really successful. I'm sure you've you've seen a lot of people who've tried it out and they haven't been able to make it work, right. you know. Right. And so or they've tried it out. I mean, it, it not made it work for a number of reasons, but mm-hmm. I think that it's kind of it's a grueling process, you know, oh, yeah. and you're putting in just like endless hours in the beginning. And if you don't have that kind of passion for your product to, to do that, then. Yeah. It's yeah, gonna be hard. you need the passion. And I'm, my other thing is I didn't have an exit option. Like I could not go back to nonprofit communications once I jumped into food because I wasn't very successful in that field. So I felt like I had to figure it out and make it work um, and put in those crazy, you know, 100 hour weeks to just get it off the ground. And I think if you have a career that you can step back into, it's a lot harder <laughs> to make your food business successful because you really won't put in that blood, sweat and tears to figure it out. Right. Support for The Leap comes from Glen's Garden Market, a climate progress motivated grocery store, deli, and craft beer bar in DuPont Circle at 20th and S Streets. Glen's addresses climate change by improving access to local, sustainable food producers. In five years, they've launched 80 small local food businesses. It's good food from close by. Glen'sGardenMarket.com. How many years have you been in business? Seven. And so throughout that seven years, is there been times where you're just like, I don't know how like Whisk <laughs> is going to go on? No, actually, the business has always been, our problems are always good problems. People were so interested in our product or people wanted to order our cookies and I couldn't produce enough of them. So I never felt 
that the business couldn't go on. But there were times when I felt like it was going to break me, <laughs> you know, um, like when we were baking up in Rockville and we were using the sheet pans of the caterer we were renting from. One time I got a text at 10 o'clock at night from the pastry chef who said at 8 a.m. tomorrow, we need to use all the sheet pans because we have a big order. So I literally had to get out of bed and drive to the kitchen and bake all night so that they could have the sheet pans in the morning. Oh, no. Stuff like that. Yeah. Really. It, it's fun to talk about it now, but when you're going through it, it's absolutely awful. <laughs> right. And I feel like you've kind of figured out um, in your growth process, kind of like I feel like, you know, conversations that we've had, you're... Um, leaning a little bit more on machinery than you have in the past. Yeah, we're and, and that's another challenge too, is how do you automate more of your processes and still keep the quality high? So we're always asking that question when we make a decision to bring in a piece of equipment, but we're definitely trying to get more automation into our process just so so we can we can make more of the product. Right. What are what are some of the things that that if you were to bring in automation for, it would just be like a different product? Well, you know, we recently uh, bought in, bought a pie press to stamp our pie crust. And okay. that was probably a six-month process where we looked at different pieces of equipment so that we could choose the right one that wasn't going to change the texture of the crust. So that was a big, um, it was a big conversation. So prior to stamping it, you guys were like hand engraving it or we whatever. Were, we were sheeting it okay. and then we were putting it into a pie crust by hand. And it, it literally took so many hours to make all the crusts i mean you know you okay could, i actually i was just thinking that you're stamping it like stamping it no, on top no, no. <laughs> no you're sheeting it and putting it in the, in the, that's how in much the i bake hand. pie yeah but it, it took forever um and some of the pieces of the equipment that we looked at you know it would have the dough coming out through an extruder that would really destroy its texture and so i decided that even though that was more of an automated piece of equipment it would make it make us more efficient it wasn't worth it because we'd lose the the integrity of our product. Yeah. So were you guys able to test these, like yeah. all of the equipment that you Yeah, you just were, talk to the manufacturer right. and you go up to their facility or we actually went to a bakery um, in Hoboken and tried out their pie press with our crust. So you can do that. So, what, so what, 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 what next would you need to kind of like... Well, we're looking at building out our own facility. And so, you know, I need bigger mixers. We make 50 batches of pie or of uh, cookie dough a week because we're doing such small batches. So we need more mixers and we need larger mixers to do less batches. So that's a big thing. Um, we're looking at more rotating rack ovens. You know, that's a big thing. Um, we'd like a conveyor belt to help us in the packaging process. Um, so we can have a little stack of cookies going down a conveyor belt that people work on instead of uh, sliding everything across the table. So right now, do you guys hand pack everything? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Oh, and a flow wrapper to hand pack our individual cookies or to... to automatically package our individual cookies that would help greatly right yeah yeah it's, it's insane like so, so are you, how, how is how's the hunt going to build out a new facility um we have some some places uh in pg county that we're looking at so hopefully one of those will work out but it's a long process you yeah know? like ten thousand square feet or five thousand five thousand ten thousand is too big for me yeah five seems like a nice yeah step from it's a safe amount of space. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you guys are doing, I mean, people are contacting WIST to do, so you sell, do the wholesale, and then mm -hmm. people contact you to do, like, develop a, a recipe for them for their business? Or um, is that kind of like a one-off for Kava? It's really a one-off for Kava. Like, we, we love them, and we love working with them. And they were Same. able to, yeah, to put us into, I think, seven stores when we started. Um, and so for that relationship, developed very organically, and it works really well for us. But if someone else wants us to do a custom cookie, 
I mean, no one, no one with a, a lot of volume has approached us about something like that. Right. So, but I mean, if someone did, would you guys be? Yeah, we'd be amenable if a volume is right. Absolutely. You know. Right. Um, are you guys getting into like any new kind of products? We're trying to develop um, a food service line that would be smaller. So like a smaller cookie that could be at a lower price point and uh, that would be at like schools and things of that potentially, sort. Potentially, yeah. Um, and that would be something that we could sell it frozen. That so. would make a lot of kids happy, I think. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, we could sell it frozen, like packaged and frozen, and then you'd have it as a thaw and serve option. And then the dough is another big product line that, that we're really excited about. Awesome. So you yeah. get you got some stuff in the works. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and then we're like trying to develop more vegan flavors. Like the vegan line is going really well for us. So we, we want to add more products into that line. Do you guys have a gluten-free No, because we can't make a gluten-free option because we're in a facility with so much flour. So we just don't even try. Okay. Do you get a lot of requests for it? Oh, all the time. I mean, if I had another facility, I'd do it in a heartbeat but I I just, I can't. <laughs> we can't control the cross-contamination. Right. So that's kind of something that in your new facility that you built out, you'll no. consider or no, because you you really need a separate gluten free facility to create a gluten free. Oh product, right, right, right. Know? So you can't do basically you can't do a gluten free product in the same facility no. as your as your gluten yeah, full right, product. Right. I mean, it's literally flour. Once it it's out there, it's like in the air and everywhere. Yeah, right. It's in the air of our ovens. It's in the air of our facility. Like you just can't get it out. Um, people don't understand that like you really need a a facility that's entirely free of gluten to make a gluten-free product um and i i don't have the resources to put something i mean but i feel like people are doing gluten-free products that are not in a gluten-free facility right yeah and i don't know how that works because we've never tried it i don't know if they're just saying that they're gluten-free or i don't know if they're really cleaning things off and and doing the parts per million tests that you need to do to ensure that they're gluten-free. But but I know that when I've talked to, when I've really sat down and thought about it, I I mean, we can't get the gluten out of our facility. You know, we can't get it out of the air of our oven. Right. Yeah. um, So I I don't know what other people are doing, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it was interesting. Early on when we had started, we were thinking about sharing um, a space with a baker Mm -hmm. and we were like oh wait that's never gonna work yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) um because of the yeah because your your product is gluten-free right yeah 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 yeah. um and just like it's it's not possible to do the product that we're doing with flour in the in the air yeah (laughs) yeah um so do what's your guys like five ten year plan Um, oh god um to, to move out of our current space and into our own space is definitely in the five-year plan. Um, and then we would like to be self-distributing up and down, like up to Philly and down to Richmond, you know, and awesome. all the places in between. And right now you guys are Maryland, Virginia, yes. D.C. So we go as far north as Baltimore. Um, we actually go up to Timonium. And then we go as far south as Springfield, Virginia. Awesome. Yeah. So would you like just expand with more like Whole Foods and... I think more that? more Whole Foods, more independent grocers. Um, you know, we love moms. We'd love to be able to be in the moms like up in, in the Pennsylvania area. Right. Yeah. So how, how do you guys like ensure... I mean, obviously you, your, your brand has such like, you know, people know it, people mm-hmm. seek it out. Um, you have these amazing, I guess, kind of like end caps in mm-hmm. a lot of grocery stores. Um, but like... 
are you guys out doing demos, oh, marketing yeah. to make sure that the product gets off the shelf in seven days? Yeah, we, we do so many demos. Yeah. Um, so we we really try to do at least, a, you know, when we're in a new store like a Whole Foods, we'll do a demo a week and then we'll do um, a demo twice a month for the first year that we're in that location. And then we will evaluate after the first year as to how often we want to demo. But yeah, demo, demo is our... Um, most powerful marketing tool because what really sells the product is when someone people taste it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you see like that changing for you guys? Like once the, you know, cause there's kind of like a new set of rules for whole foods. Right. Um, well, we're still figuring out how that is going to affect us. We thought the change was going to happen in April and now they're saying it's going to happen in summer. We work with a third party demo company who we love called Sweet Lini and they do all our moms, all, all our Whole Foods demos. And then, you know, they can demo at Yes Organic or whatever store we need them to go into. So I'm hoping that they can stay around to continue to handle our moms and independent demos um and then we'll switch to the Damon Interactive people right. through Whole Foods. Wait, so will they be able to well you'll have to switch when like the switch for whole foods yeah yeah right yeah okay yeah but for the other stores you'll still use yeah and, and that's the challenging thing is if whole foods wants us to go to with a demo company i i do understand that mm-hmm. but we have other needs outside of whole foods that we are not able to service ourselves because it's hard to find demo people it's it's a lot of work um you know and, and you're only able to offer them part-time hours um and so we'd prefer to work with a third-party company that does all of it but they just do whole foods so that's a challenge. Oh, Sweet Lini only does home foods. Right? No, no, Damon. Only oh, right, does right, foods, right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so, so I mean, we're still figuring it out, huh? And you'll just come. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think everybody's kind of still figuring. I, that I mean, piece how out. Are, how are you guys going to do it when they make the switch? I mean, I think we'll we'll, we'll switch over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what everyone will do, right? Because that's what, what that's your only option. You have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so other than that, I mean, you guys are getting the word out by like you're at you, how many farmers markets do you guys do? Yeah. So farmers markets are another powerful marketing tool for us. We do four in DC. Um, oh, for some reason I thought you guys did many more than that. No, no. no or, you, or did you? And you cut back? Or no, we've done uh, we've done some different ones. Like we used to do one up on Rockville Pike, but we've really only done the four that we do. We're at Fourteenth and U, Bloomingdale, the Palisades, and Glover Park, and we've done those that set for the last maybe three or four years. Um, so I mean, demos are, are so you guys don't do any fresh farm markets? No, we don't. Oh wow, no, because we we do a lot of cookies, and you know we weren't sure if we could meet their local sourcing requirements. And now they have, you know, because stuff in a cookie is sugar and flour, and that's comes right. from far away. Right. Um, but you guys are doing other stuff that you're using seasonal produce. So. Yeah, yeah. For the pies and quiches, we are. Yeah. But it wasn't. I don't. I don't know. We we tried to apply to their markets, but they never were interested in letting us in. So right. we just do our, our other guys, and that works for us. What What's the? Um, is cookies the number one seller for? Whisk? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, the pies and quiches are really how we got known, but the cookies are, are where all our growth is. Yeah. They're like everywhere. Yeah. And easy to eat. Yeah. They're yeah. so, so, so delicious. Yeah. Um, well, we are super excited to see, you know, what you do in the Thanks. next couple of years. Jenna, you're doing great work and, um, we love your company. We love your cookies. Thank we love you. your pies. We love Gordy's. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show today. <laughs> Um, and for all those tuning in, we'll be back um, with the leap next Wednesday at noon with Ann Yang from Misfit Juicery. Uh, 
Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.